Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast. Answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on BallQuest. Hey, good Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome to the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast. I'm Mary Kane with Brent Hubs, Austin Price, and Rob Lewis. Exterior Home Solutions makes this coverage possible here on the BallQuest Podcast. Local trusted since 1999. If you need roofing, siding, windows, or garage, contact Exterior Home Solutions today. It's today, 65-524-5888 or online at ExteriorHomeSolutions.com. Uh, if you're listening or watching us here today and you're not a member of our site over at VolQuest.com, no better time to join us than right now. Recruiting coverage, wall-to-wall, NCAA investigation coverage, baseball season's right around the corner, basketball season's ongoing, and spring practice. Austin Price is just in a couple of weeks. There's never a dull moment over at VolQuest.com, and everyone should join us today. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, like, however, you know, you've seen, like, the post on the VolQuest as, you know, Jerry Mack left and, the hot board season, you know, like, you know, like, is there such thing that we're going to get into where it's NCAA season where it's almost so routine that, you know, there's always a season for it. I would say that it's been NCAA season for about three years now. Um, I don't think that Groundhog Day has come to an end. So we'll see what comes out of uh, the, the courtroom uh, from the hearing in, in Greenville and see if the season continues or if we put that one on the shelf for a little while. And uh, we'll see what that looks like here in the next I don't know, three, four days, three or four weeks, something like that. Hey, Rob, Hub's had his, you know, because we couldn't have electronics in there. <clears throat> Hub's had his notepad, and I told him, I said, make sure you keep that, because I said, I've already offered that to the to the Hall of Fame uh, for your exhibit. <laughs> it's just, it's another thing to go in my book. The day I got to go to federal court for, for college athletics. Correct. I had what that I had that on my bingo card. <laughs> what did AP get at Yoder's on the way home? That, that was the biggest question. Oh, no, you know, no, 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 no. Hubs and I, Hubs and I are, are Bucky, we, we, Yoder's is like Bucky's for us. Like, if you stop, fine, cool, it's whatever. But, like, we're not getting going out of the way or even getting off the interstate unless you have to. AP, AP was going to Pals, so that's where we yeah. ended up. The, the, the second greatest Pals that there is. There's the number one, which is the, the OP, which is the original. But then there's the one at the strip mall in Greenville that's the only one you can go inside and sit down. So there you go. It was like a fun-filled day. It was a thrill a minute. (laughs) All right. Let's get to uh, plenty of your questions here today for the VolQuest Mailbag Podcast. We'll start with uh, Dalval5. We're now in the mid-February, and we continue to see coaches, head coaches, and assistant coaches jockeying for better situations and contracts. Can you remind me what coaches' complaints are about NIL and the transfer portal, uh, Brent? I just I think it's just too chaotic. It's it's a thrill a minute, and if you take a little less responsibility off your plate, it makes your life easier. Or if you go to the National Football League, you don't have to deal with all this stuff. And again, he's right. It's mid February, and there's still kind of a lot going on right now. 
Well, I mean, you got a couple things going on. One, here's where coaches are with NIL and transfer portal stuff that, that's maddening for them. One, they've never had to deal with it till now. Okay. I mean, they, when they got into the business, unless you got into the business in the last two years, you never had to deal with this. So it's all new and it's not something that you want to deal with. Two, those guys in the transfer portal, NIL, I mean, they can, they're, they're not bound to anybody anywhere. They can go anywhere they want to go. If a coach leaves, he does have to pay a buyout. So it's not exactly the same that way. Uh, but yeah, coaches are looking to, I mean, every coach is looking, Rob, to see what's out there for them right now. And with the NFL making changes later and later and taking longer to, to make hires, uh, the trickle-down effect is, is there. I and mean, there's a lot of NFL staffs that aren't close to being completed right now, which, again, opens you up for potential college jobs. And then you've seen college coaches make moves you know, at later dates than we've typically seen before. Well, and I mean, I guess, I mean, and he, the poster wouldn't be reminded, you know, about the, the problems. I, I don't think it's, I, I know it's not the high school recruiting as much. I mean, that's, that's pain. I mean, to, you know, that, that never quits. You have, you know, junior days that you, that didn't exist 10 years ago. You have, you know, you're worried about getting kids on campus all summer. I think it's, it's the recruiting your own roster. I, I think that, at the end of the day is really maybe the most mind boggling or, or, or maybe the straw that broke the camel's back. And, and, and AP, I know you've said it on the podcast before and and I've said it, but it's, it's not, I don't think people really grasp. It's not the star wide receiver so much as it's the 19 year old kid. That's a third stringer that hadn't played all year that, you know, you're, you're dealing with a phone call about, you know, is he going to transfer out? What, you know, does, What's he asking, you know, the collective for? And I think there's so much of that going on behind the scenes that people would be amazed. There we go. Sorry. Uh, people don't really grasp what they have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, you know, these coaches are, are, are really juggling so much. And don't get me wrong, like, the ones that are making a, a bunch of money, which are talking about the coordinators over a million, the head coaches that are making a ridiculous amount of money, like Hypo makes nine million, you know, you know, they're getting paid to deal with some of that. Now, if you got a guy who's a young guy that's making two fifty, you know, as a first year, I mean, like it's a it's a lot of headaches. Now again, it's better than, you know, making sixty five thousand dollars working nine to five Monday through Friday, but at the same time it's it's still a challenge. And so um I, I'm interested to see hubs and i know we want to move on to the next question the the player i was talking to zach azani last week uh, before he got the pittsburgh job and you know like like if he had to come back to college how would he fare because i mean what he left and what he would encounter now are two totally different worlds but coming from the pros does that give him you know it, it, it is he able to relate more to this model because it is more of a pro model you know, I, I I I think that would be an interesting uh, case study. Yeah, I think the hard part for any pro coach coming back to college, I think the hard part for any of them is that no one is contractually bound to a school, no player. So Rob's talking about re-recruiting a roster every December. Yeah. Well, guess what? There's going to be some conversations that head coaches had around the country to re-recruit their roster this past December they're going to have that same conversation with that same player in April. 
because something didn't go right in spring practice or somebody's reached out to him and said, Hey, this, so they're going to go back and say, Hey, I need more. Or you didn't do exactly what you told me you were going to do in spring ball, or I'm not where you said I was going to be here. So if I'm going to stay, you're going to have to do this for me. And, and I think that's the part with coaches that, that are crazy. That's why I think one of the, one of the transfer rules that ought to be looked at, I, I'm listen, you can transfer multiple times. But you got to stay a season wherever you transfer to. Agreed. You can't transfer in December and then turn around and transfer in April. You've got to stay. You've got to stay a football season, um, because I just think I think coaches having to deal with it twice in the re-recruitment of the roster or dealing with roster management on two on two. You would like to know right now my roster is set for May or for for August. You know, pr- providing somebody doesn't get hurt. I know what my roster looks like going into fall camp. There is absolutely no way anybody in the country knows what their roster, the roster they have right now, that it's definitely going to be their roster in August because it likely will not be. On that note, Nashville 615 says, do you think the single transfer portal window, um, unless your coach leaves, fixes a lot of those issues? Uh, meaning do away with the, the, the second wave of the transfer portal window after spring practice. I think it would help, Brent, but it's not going to fix everything. I, I, I'm not a. I'm not saying you got to do away with the second window. I like okay? your idea. I like I, your I'm just saying. I'm saying if, whenever you transfer, if you transfer in May, if you transfer in December, you have to play the following season wherever you transferred to. Okay, and, and if you and if you want to transfer again after that season, that's fine. What I'm saying is you don't. You can't have two transfers between two college football seasons. From one season to the next, you can't transfer twice. Okay, I, I think that's what you have to to look at now. Um, you know, because here's the thing: I mean, there are going to be some guys. Let's say a quarterback gets talked into staying and competing for a job, Rob, and he loses Perfect that job in spring, and loses that job in spring practice. You, you know, are you mad? I mean, and he wants to leave, but he's not going to allow be allowed to leave. Well, how many guys are going to stay and compete for that job if that's the rule? Or do you just go ahead and bolt because you're like, well, they've made, they've made their favorite. I'm not going to stay and compete for the job. So I'm not necessarily one who says you have to only have one portal transfer window. Um, I just think you got to stay somewhere for a year, wherever you go. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I just off the top of my head, however, without really thinking about it, I wonder if that doesn't just push it more back to the spring. Like guys saying, if I can only go once, I'm going to wait and see how spring practice goes. And then you see more guys leaving, you know, in, in, in May. I don't think so because that money that you might have been promised in December is not going to be there in April, maybe. I just and wonder if it leaves the whole the window. Say what, AP? And you have the SEC rule. Yeah. Like, you can't go SEC to SEC. Yeah. Well, that, that's one to think of. Like I said, this is just off the top of my head. I just wonder. And. I mean, I, I'm with I'm with Brent. I mean, I think that is a problem we got, and and I'm I'm pretty much for the wild wild west with kids wanting to be able to do you know transfer wherever. But I, I I there's a lot of merit in that one for alleviating some some stress and you know at least throwing some sanity into yeah. the mix. Well, I, mean, I was you just elect Cubs commissioner of college football. I mean, no, no, I, I I'm curious to see how many people transfer after spring in this tighter window, does that number start to dwindle down? Does that number stay where it's at? What, what does that number look like? And do we have people who go in the portal twice 
in the same in the same calendar year. I, I think that's that's something that you got to look at because again, at some point, your coach has got to know who his roster is, right? And, and, and nope. just, you know, w- within a reasonable amount of time, you got to know what your roster looks like. So I don't think we'll ever get there, but we'll, we'll see what that looks like in, in the coming you know coming years as you kind of manage through the transfer portal. I, um, I w- if I was commissioner of college football, I'd, I would do away with the second transfer portal window. You want to move? Cool. You can move whenever you want, but it's got to be in the month of December in that first window. If you're academically ineligible to move, that's your problem. Um, if you stay and lose a job in fall camp, that's your problem. Um, or spring camp. I just, it w- again, it won't fix everything, but I would 100% get away, do away with the transfer portal window in April. I think that would help a little bit. Uh, let's go to Athron. He's got a couple of questions. What are the repercussions if Tennessee loses the case to get loses the case against the NCAA? Loses the injunction case that was yes. heard on Tuesday, or loses the big picture case when they go to discovery, and if it goes to that I, point, in a, I would in assume the injunction, the injunction case, the one that just happened yesterday. Well, Austin, if they lose the injunction case, then the next thing is it's going to go to it's going to go to trial uh, with discovery and witnesses and um, you know a full blown you know full blown um, court case that would take multiple days to, to go through as opposed to the hour you know deal that we saw on Tuesday, um, and that's that would be the next step at, at that point. I think the other question is if they lose the injunction. Um, what does the NCAA do at that point? Do they do they full blow ahead notice of allegations coming after Tennessee? Do they go back to Indianapolis and regroup with the idea and thinking that they're going to lose the case when it goes to a full blown trial anyway? I don't know. I think that's the million dollar question, right? It is. Um, you know, and, and to this point, you know, they still haven't sent an NOA. Um, you know, and, and again, I thought that the lawyer on on Tuesday you know, kind of you know, going back and being like, you know, I mean, there's no evidence that it was leaked out. There's no evidence of this. And you're, that. Talking about the, you're talking about the NCAA, NCAA lawyer. lawyer. Yeah. I mean, like that, that makes me wonder, like, are they pivoting? You know, they're, they're, they're in this because, you know, Tennessee and Virginia filed suit, but are they pivoting away from the investigation? You know, because so much of what he said yesterday was talking in circles. Um, you know, uh, I literally leaned to you when he said, you know, you can have a you know discussion with the collective and go. That's a game changer. If you're saying that you, even if you're talking in generalities, you know, it's kind of going to be hard to prove. Like if I was the Florida State offensive coordinator, I would take that and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I got the show cause and all this and 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 all this recruiting restriction because I drove the guy to meet with the collective. Now your lawyer is saying in federal court that, you know, they can in theory have a discussion with the collective. And I know he kind of, kind of went back and forth on that, but still like that would give me pause to kind of fight back a little bit. If, if I were the FSU OC, like, I mean, yeah, that's, I thought, that's, 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 that to me is, you know, for me, I think that's a little bit, you know, where it kind of gets muddy. Well, and I thought that, you know, he, he came back and said, basically in a, in a, utopian world, I guess. I don't know if utopian is the right word, but in, in a world where there's the collective is not tied to a school, then you could have a conversation with a collective to which the judge said, well, does that exist? And he was like, well, no, I mean, everybody's pretty much tied to a school and that's what, that, that's an inducement because those collectives are, are, you know, considered boosters and donors in our eyes. And that's, you know, that's pay for play inducement to come to school. And, and he, 
he, he flip-flopped, he circled back around and tried to say, well, if, if it's a, if it's a neutral collective, if you will, that it's okay to do that. And, and he got himself, he got himself see, tied up in a pretty bad see, way. Even then he said, the, the lawyer said, you know, basically like you could say, this is what, you know, this is what someone like you has been, has, has, has been, you know, given here before. Well, I mean, like, like given where, like you're, but you're basically, when you say it that way, make it sound like you're a collective that's tied to a school. It does not come across that way to you. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, again, he was, I think he got, he got himself, he got himself in a corner and he was trying to swing out of the corner and I'm not sure he landed much getting out of the corner. Um, you know, and again, I, I didn't think that the NCAA lawyer had his best day in front of the judge. And, and I give judge Corker a lot of credit. I thought, I thought the questions he asked to both lawyers were, were really good. I mean, yep. it, you know, as it should be, I mean, he's a federal judge for good, for goodness sakes, but I mean, it was, it, it was some pretty probing stuff that, you know, you had to be very sound in how you were answering it. I thought that the attorney general's lawyer answered his answers had more point of law to him than the NCAA's answers had to him. So we'll, we'll see what, what he elects to do. The judge does coming out of this thing. What is the next position that's going to be in the boat AP? Who? Um, I'll go wide receiver again. Rob Lewis, any guesses on a player who has a breakout year next season, uh, who is currently on the roster? Um, guy that maybe not has contributed all an awful lot or maybe hasn't been productive, but is said to be productive next year. Well, I mean, if the, if the roster and who's back, I mean, just saying who, if who's back next year or, or guys that are eligible to be back next year, I would say Freddie, Freddie Gillen would be my, my hands down pick. If we're just, if we're not getting to a lot of speculation about, but, you know, what it looks like, just people that could be back are back Freddie easy. Now give us a football one, man. Caleb Perry, the guys who were on the roster already. Not, if we're not talking about you know transfer portal guys, just yeah. guys who's gonna who are gonna break out here all year. I'll, I'll I'll take Caleb, but I you know I think there are probably several, but that one's just my knee jerk. Yeah, I'm gonna take one. Arian. I'm gonna take Arian Carter. I can see that one. For he sure. played. He played, but but I, I think much bigger, much bigger role, much different role. Not he's healthy, so I'm gonna go there. Who will end up being the best tight end next season? Not tight end one, but the best tight end. I mean, they're going to play two tight ends. I would say that um, as far as how you want to answer this, if you want to look at it from a receiving production standpoint, I'd say Ethan Davis. Um, maybe if you want to look at it from the best all-around guy, best blocker and all that, maybe it's holding stays. But I, I'll probably go Ethan Davis. Already got a leg up in the system. Knows what he's doing. And uh, I think that he'll be a receiving threat if they want to throw it his way. Brent, what do you think? I'd probably go Holden. I think he's got experience. I think he's more physical. Um, I think health, you know, is, is something there. Ethan Davis battled some injuries AP this year. Yeah. So um, if he can learn the offense, I would probably go Holden. But I think they're going to split time nearly 50-50, much like they did a year ago. Agreed. All right, we'll get one more um, before we hit uh, a short break. We'll go to Sam Smith, 22-33. Um, Talking about baseball, what do you need to see from Xander in order for you to think he gets to start next weekend as well? Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm going on the assumption right now at the time of this recording that Xander is going to start that Sunday game. Um, he's going to be a, a starter. And, you know, I, I think for him to, to gain another start would be you just don't fall off. Don't have a bad inning. Don't, don't let things avalanche on you. Get to the 
second. I mean, if you get to a third time around the order, I think that'd be fantastic. But um, you're not going to be perfect. But just don't let things snowball. Don't lose yourself in an inning. Don't have a bad inning, essentially. And um, as long as you can get out there and uh, have your team in position to win um, and hand the ball off to a piggyback guy, I think that uh, you're going to be in a good spot to maybe earn another start. Uh, more at shortstop, or has Perry done enough since coming back to get it? In the pizza series, Alex Perry, when he was in the field, he was at third. So I think they're easing him back in that regard with that hamstring injury. Christian Moore did not come off shortstop. Bradkey Lowry did not come off second base. So I would go Christian Moore as your shortstop for the opening weekend. Uh, most important question, are they going to ruin opening weekend by wearing those awful gray pajamas? Yes, they will wear those gray uniforms at some point over opening weekend as they do uh, every single year. All right, when we come back, we got plenty more questions to get into, but first we'll get a word from our friends over at Exterior Home Solutions. You know, life happens, and damage to your home can be extremely stressful. That's why it's important to find someone who offers efficient, quality work with financing options. Exterior Home Solutions, they value not only family, but community, and they're who I call when life happens, and you should too. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Exterior Home Solutions, give them a call today for a free estimate at 865-524-5888 or online at ExteriorHomeSolutions.com. All right, let's go to Reltley for Life. Where are the most intriguing battles this spring on the football field? Who is going to be full go and who will be limited this spring out of the guys who didn't finish last year? He, he goes on to mention a couple of guys who are limited. Uh, Dante Thornton, you know, Brew, Spragans, John Campbell, Carrick, Carter, uh, anyone else getting a cleanup surgery that might be limited in spring? Well, let's start with the injury one, Austin. Of those guys, I would imagine they're not all going to be full go, but anybody else that might be limited in spring? Uh, I mean, like I would say most of those guys will be full go. I mean, you know, I think Spragans will be limited. Um, but like Dante Thornton's good to go. Um, Brew McCoy, he, I mean, he's just going to keep getting better. I mean, I, I don't see him doing anything in spring from a football standpoint. Um, Campbell, Carrick. Campbell, Carrick uh, should be good. Um, Carter, uh, Arion Carter should be good. That's why he had the surgery when he had it was to be good for spring. Um, uh, Peyton Lewis has had a couple of procedures. He will not be available this spring. What about Weathersby? Uh, Tyree Weathersby should be good to go for spring. Okay. Um, what are those most intriguing spring battles on the field, Brent? Position battles for Tennessee, they're going to be intriguing. I think immediately you think of left guard. Immediately you think of safety, of cornerback. Um, there, there's going to be a lot of uh, jockeying for playing time this spring. Yeah, I mean, I think you summed it up. I mean, in a corner, you know, who's going to be opposite Ricky Gibson? What does safety look like? Um, what's the star position going to look like? Can a, can a freshman make some noise there? And then I think you're looking at that guard position. You know, what exactly do you look like at the guard spot? And, um, again, you've got so many veteran offensive linemen. I'm not saying that you just shut them down and they, they don't go through spring. But some of those young guys, newcomers and guys who didn't play very much last year and redshirted, 
they should get a ton of reps this spring because you got to figure out where you are, not just for this fall for depth, but you got to figure out where you think you are heading into 25 because that's going to dictate a lot of what you look like from a portal standpoint, everything else, you know, when you look at what you're losing in, in both lines of scrimmage. So I think in the line of scrimmage, it better be a whole lot about youth this spring. And I mean, does Omari, Th- for- does Omari Thomas need a bunch of reps? I'm with hubs on all this. I like mean, those, those older guys. And like Omari like Thomas, Orlando Simmons, Bryson Eason. Yeah. I mean, those guys, I mean, you know what they lot. are. I'm yeah. not saying they can't get better and they don't need some work. I mean, I, I don't I don't think they walk around and, you know, slides and, and never dress out for practice. But I'm just – you got to get those young guys as, as as much work as you can get. I, I just think it's vital to do to, to do it that way this spring. On that note, here, here here's a, a, a good question. Is Trevor Duncan and Nathan Robinson going to be full go for spring? And we, we might have to check on that. But those are some guys that need a whole lot of reps. Nathan should be good to go. Now yeah. I, we'll see where Trevor. I mean, the the goal with Trevor was, and when I talked to Trevor, and he was on his scooter. His plan was to be. He felt like he would be ready to go for spring practice. I think both will be able and should be ready to go uh, for spring ball. And and this is a big spring for both those guys. Not 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 to determine their future, but I mean, th- this is an opportunity for them, and they've got to take advantage of it, and they've got to be given more than plenty opportunities this spring. Your two starting defensive tackles in 2025, maybe. Um, I know Jackson Moyes there as well. And David Hobbs is a thing. Uh, one more question for Routley for Live. A couple of days in. Any rumblings on a running back coach who has been interviewed so far? Essentially, where, where are we at in the running back uh, selection process for a coach? I, I think if you, if you really take a look at, at kind of the hot board, I think the higher, in my opinion, barring something odd, is going to come off of that that you know, that hot board ups. Like, you know, I, I, there, there's some guys with Tennessee ties that make a lot of sense. Um, Lachlan, Jones, um, all those guys have some ties in some f- shape or fashion to Memphis. Uh, you know, Lachlan played at Chattanooga. Um, you know, there are guys with ties to the state. So if, if you can look back at the original hot board, I think it's it's likely coming off of that. And, and from a timeline standpoint, I don't think like they're going to hire somebody tomorrow. But Correct. I don't think I don't think this one in Austin. It doesn't feel like this is going to be week of spring practice that they introduce their new running backs coach. I, I think it's going to be quicker um, than than maybe some of the coaching hires that Josh Heupel has made because a the window's a little smaller with spring ball coming, and and I think that I think he probably you know has a pretty good idea where he wants to try to go with this thing uh, pretty quickly here. So I, I don't I don't think it'll be a long drawn out procedure in terms of of hiring a coach. Agreed. I miss Denarius Moore says, how do you think Hypel is evaluating coaches here in terms of scheme fits, recruiting footprint, connection to his coaching tree, et cetera? So when, when looking for a new coach, do you think how do you think he weighs those factors uh, when trying to make a hire? I, I think it's, you know, how, how do you coach? Like, you know, most of the time the, those coaches are going to make a presentation. They're going to talk about what they want out of their running backs. They're going to basically do a skull session hubs. Um, you know, I don't think he's trying to stay on his tree for this hire um, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I think this is more of a, you know, let's get the best fit and let's find a guy who can recruit. Well, and, and we talked about this Rob on the podcast on Tuesday um, that that recruiting fit is a different deal now than it was five or six years ago. It's not just about, the area or are are you in the recruiting footprint, but it's where are you in, in managing 
and, and understanding the NIL factor in recruiting and all those things that you're having to deal with there. So I, I think that's part of something that if I'm Josh Heupel or if I'm a coach out there looking, do I want to take a young up-and-comer who's never dealt with it or a veteran guy who's been slow to adapt to it? Or am I looking for someone who seems to have a pretty quick grasp on it that is is good with kind of the landscape of the way recruiting is these days? Yeah, and, and Hubbard, I was just going to point out, I mean, you, you kind of made it made it easy to segue into it. I was going to say a lot of people probably think that is automatically a young guy, but I don't think it necessarily is. I mean, I think, I mean, I think we've all dealt with some old, old, older, you know, veteran dudes who have adjusted pretty well. I mean, way better, you know, than I would have thought in some cases. And it's, I mean, and I think part of that is because it's still so much about relationships. I mean, you might have a, you know, a young guy who, you know, intellectually, morally is, is, is way more on board with the NIL space you know just because you know, he's coming in you know up up that way it's been m- way more of a reality but i think we've seen some older guys that have have adjusted pretty well and you know just you know are not struggling or you know not having the big you know moral opposition to it that maybe some people would have thought but I, I think recruiting is big and i wanted to ask ap this to get out of the analysis do you think josh thinks it's more important now the recruiting angle this higher than it was when, when he came from central florida Yes, for for the running backs coach, uh, running backs coach. I think in just in general, um, I think sometimes he thinks it's fit. I think that Alec Ablin was hired because he thought Alec Ablin could, you know, uh, you know, would, would would be a seamless transition uh, from a you know X's and O's from a knowledge standpoint. Um, um, I think he really liked Kelsey Pope, but it, you know, I, and you know, felt like he's kind of the best of both. Um, but that for this one, I do think that he views this as a. Uh, an important hire from a recruiting standpoint, um, you know, and really when you look at it, I mean, like you're right, it is still about relationships. And I also think hubs, it's about who's hungry. Like, you know, you've got some guys that maybe have a name to them, you know, but you know, they're living off their reputation from 15 or 20 years ago as a recruiter and they're not as hungry and motivated now as they once were. So like, you know, I think, you know, whoever you hire has got to have that, that kind of drive, that internal drive uh, to go get it. Yeah, and I think after three years on the job, you, you you understand recruiting in this league. You probably thought you had a pretty good feel for it when you came into the league, you know, and, and became a head coach here. But after three years on the job, you you probably understand the challenges, you know, and 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 how how recruiting is done at this league. In, in this league, is very different than recruiting in this league as an assistant recruiting in this league as a head coach and managing the recruiting process as a head coach is something that you can't really grasp until you're here um, or until you're at an SEC school. And I think after being on it three years, Rob, I think recruiting is obviously very important. And I think that's a key part of the, of this hire for Josh Heupel. Yeah. And I say also, I mean, I think a head coach, I think you can kind of grasp or, you know, intellectually tell yourself it's going to be a lot more, you know, it's going to take more time. It's going to be more serious, but then the reality of it, reality of it is, you know, you look at the kid that's coming on a visit that weekend, you know, his other four trips were to, to Georgia, to, you know, Ohio state, to Alabama. I mean, you're not, and that's no disrespect to where you recruited at before. I'm just, you know, suddenly two of the three finalists you're up against are are hall of fame coaches that have won multiple national titles. And that's not an exception. That's there's probably, you know, two or three kids you're talking to every day that, that, you know, that's the situation. Bonus question. Do you miss Daenerys more? 
I miss Lennon Career. No, I miss Daenerys. No offense to Lennon Career. Daenerys. It was, I, Daenerys was a really good player. He was. I know. I would just. I know. I, know. I, I, rem- I remember. Uh, I remember standing in a hotel, getting ready to get on an elevator, um, in Tampa. Balls were playing in the Outback Bowl. I don't remember which year. And Lennon Career was getting ready to make his decision, and the whole thing, the whole time, trying to figure out: Are they going to take Denarius Moore, or are they not going to take Denarius Moore? You know, do they have to take Denarius Moore to get Lennon Career? Is Denarius Moore worth taking? I mean, what is the, he's a track guy. I mean, what is the deal? And it, there was this, I mean, it was hours trying to figure out if they're really going to take him, if they're not going to take him. And it turns out um, he was the more productive player. It, and was, it's was every, it's every time. It's, it's every seemed, time. Yeah. It, it, it's Dan Williams over Malcolm Rawls. It's every time. And even if you have the other one that performs well, like the guy that, yeah, we're going to take him, or we're not going to take him. That guy always ends up being somebody that's productive every time. Didn't Cedric, it wasn't Cedric Tillman's recruitment like that? Cedric Tillman's recruitment was who is he? Yeah, and he was sight unseen. He didn't have anybody attached to him. Like, yeah, right? I mean, he didn't visit. I mean, that was that was um, Tyson Helton getting a phone call from his brother or calling his brother, going, "Hey, do you know of anybody floating around out there that's unsigned?" and his brother said, well, we're gonna, we were going to try to get this kid to walk on at SC. Uh, he, you, you might be worth looking into. And um, Tennessee called him, offered him. He committed, signed, and then came to campus to see what Knoxville looked like. Now, Cedric Wilson was a part of a trio from Memphis Melrose. And he was the afterthought because they wanted Kevin Taylor and Andre Lott. Andre Lott went on to the NFL. Kevin Taylor didn't make it. Cedric Wilson ended up playing a little bit in the NFL and was a really productive player at Tennessee. And that was Sunday um, in the NFL. Yeah, which everybody kind of thought he was. Well, you got to take him to get the other two because he was the quarterback. But what are you going to do with him? And he ended up being a really, really nice college football player at Tennessee. Gator Dog says, how detrimental is losing your strength coach in February? I've heard Florida was faster and bigger than they've ever been. Um, joking there at the end, but it's not ideal, Austin, when you lose your strength coach in February because right now – this is your time. You have the team. The strength staff has your team. You give it back over. You're still working out, but you got spring practice. And then after spring practice, you get them again, and then you hand them off to the coaches for fall camp. Um, would imagine there's some plans set in place, and some of the assistants are sticking around right now to kind of work with the transition. But I would say it's probably not ideal because this is the time that your strength staff has them. Well, it's not ideal unless you hire someone with similar philosophy. Uh, or sorry, it it it. it it is not a big deal if you hire someone with a similar philosophy. If you go different, right? If you go from, if you do a guy that was non, you know, you know, free weights, and all of a sudden you get a guy with free weights, uh, to me, I think that the change of philosophy could be detrimental. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's ever a good time to lose one. Sorry, Rob. I mean, you know, what what what, what date is the right time to to lose someone? I think the. I think the one thing here is it's not like he had he had been there forever to establish himself, right? I mean, like he's bounced around. Yeah, go ahead, Rob. I was just gonna, don't have a ton to add. I was going to say with the timing, it, it would really test the culture of your team. I mean, you better have some real strong leadership um, at that when you, when you lose that position at this time of year. But I think if you had a a ton of veterans, you know that that you could lean on would, would ease it. But man, if you and I, and I don't know what's going on in Florida, but that didn't 
I don't know that that would describe what, what, what that situation looks like from the outside looking in. Got a couple more here. Let's go to 731 underscore V4L with George McIntyre in the boat for the 25 class. Looking ahead to 2026, uh, in-state quarterback number 12 ranked overall, Jared Curtis is a name that's not being talked about a lot. Is he not interested in Tennessee because he'll likely sit out for several years if things go as expected, or is it something else? Is the 26th quarterback of interest going to be Fazian Brandon? Well, I mean, listen, um, if you're asking me, I think Jared Curtis is a fantastic talent. Jared Curtis, age-wise, it should be a 25. He's, he's Age-wise, he's George McIntyre's age. Fazian Brandon was started early. He's more like Darnell Wright. You know, Darnell Wright played four full seasons, got drafted, you know, um, you know, as, as a 22-year-old and actually as a 21-year-old and didn't turn 22 until he was in fall camp at the Bears. So, like, Faison Brandon's 15. He doesn't turn 16 until this summer, you know, whereas Jared Curtis is, you know, 17, I think, or almost 17. Um, so, like, just from an age standpoint, both uber-talented. Uh, Tennessee would gladly take either. Um, I think for Jared Curtis, I think, you know, probably just doesn't want to get in the rat race behind Nico slash George. And um, that's why you've seen him. Mean, he came here in camp. I mean, Tennessee would love to, again, they, they like him a ton. He's really talented. I mean, could be the number one quarterback in the country in his class. We'll see. Um, he or Faison Brown, either one. Um, but, uh, you know, I think Tennessee would gladly take either. Vols by 50 wants to know about the, my best guess for the starting rotation. Again, we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, hopefully, Later on Wednesday, I'll find out what that starting rotation will be. Um, but right now, my guess is Drew Beam, A.J. Russell, and then Xander Seacrest with a whole lot of bullpen. Um, Xander with a piggyback. And, I mean, all those guys are going to be on low pitch counts because it's opening weekend. So there's going to be a whole lot of guys behind them. Uh, what newcomer, um, anyone that didn't play a significant role for UT last year, would you predict to have a big year barring any injury? Yeah, I'm going to say consistent with this one. I'll say Reese Chapman. I think he's going to be a guy that – Plays a lot of outfield. I think he's going to be a guy that comes on and can be, you know, DH from time to time, pinch hitter. Uh, I'll say Reese Chapman. Um, what position group do you think will improve the most on the field this year, and which one will probably not improve compared to last year? Um, secondary is an interesting one to start at, Rob, because you're starting over in the secondary. Does that mean you're going to improve, or does that mean you're not going to improve compared to what you had last year? So I, I think it's interesting when you think about the secondary, but also just any other positions as well. I mean, I, the secondary is one that comes to mind for me. I mean, whether you can't definitively say that they're going to improve, but that's certainly. I mean, I go back to somebody asked earlier in the podcast what's going to be you know kind of the most intriguing battle, and I, I will say that when I think the expectation will be that they're improved, but I mean they're going to have to hit on, on some of these transfers and some of these young freshmen or now sophomores that everybody was claiming to see are going to have to be guys that, that really are that talented, you know, like, like, you know, Slaughter, Matthews, you know, Gibson, all those dudes. So I, I would anticipate the secondary to be improved, but there's still a lot of guys that have to prove it. I mean, that's not an automatic. I wouldn't think. All right. We got three more to get into before we call it quits. We'll go to breezy early expectations for who, Tennessee takes the SEC media days next year. Um, I try to think on who they took last year, and I'm pretty sure Joe Milton was one of them. But I would say Cooper Mays is going to be one of them. Cooper Mays, Brew McCoy, and then I don't know if they'd go three offense and take Nico. I would probably lean towards Omari Thomas or someone like that. I would yeah, think, I think Omari. 
maybe maybe Keenan Peely, somebody of that that nature. Would you say, Brent? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, they'll take a defensive guy and a couple offensive guys. I don't think I don't think they'll take a quarterback. And I don't think they'll take James Pierce. Can Coach Chop? This one's from Bruce Fall. Can Coach Chop coach linebackers if that position opens? AP. I don't know. I don't think he ever has. So um, you know, I think if if that would go if that were going to be the move, then I think potentially you would move Eckler to inside backers, Chop Leo's Rodney defensive line. But again, with Eckler being tied to special teams, you know, I'm not sure coaching inside backers is real. I think it'd be more added uh, responsibility, which would probably pull him away from special teams some. So I'm not sure they would go that route. But, I mean, it's an option. I think that'd be the I don't see Chop coaching the line, inside linebackers. Last one goes to Huntsville, Vol 33-86. Over, under, here to end things off. Two and a half commits by April the 1st. Under. 650 rushing yards for Cam Selden. Over. Really? I was going to say under, but. You know what? I tell you what. I don't think you can even judge that. Tessie doesn't have a running backs coach. Like the new guy comes in, he may love Cam Selden. Cam Selden may be the guy. Like there's no guarantee that it's just going to be Dylan Sampson. And when you change running backs, here's the other thing too: the new running backs coach might not rotate as freely as Jerry Mack did. Jerry Jerry Mack rotated that room. I mean, how many times do we sit on this podcast and go, Jalen Wright's averaging 11 yards a carry, and he had you know eight carries on a hundred yard day? I mean, so. He might he might completely handle it different um, yeah. in terms of the running back rotation. So I don't know. I mean, I think Cam Selden is super talented, Rob. I would say. I mean, I, I, Dylan. I, I don't know what the exact number was. I know Dylan had right at six hundred yards rushing last year. Dylan Sampson from, uh, and I just know that from doing all the, the matchup As pieces. The three. Excuse me. As the number three. Yeah. Well, I mean, but really, I mean, the way the carries were divided up, he's probably ended up more like the number two. I mean, he was the number two, and he was the number one. You know, they're they're late in the year so it's a little skewed but I'll, I'll, I'll say i don't think over is too if, if he's the, if he's the number two back then over I, I think if he's the number two back which is what i'm expecting i'll go under but that does not mean he's going to have a bad year i mean you're talking about almost 700 yards that's that's a lot of yards to be the second option but you're talking uh, about a, you're talking about an offense that's that's rushed for 2500 yards i mean that's so that's what if, I'm basing it on. If he's going to be under six seventy five, that means cube. That means running back one is going to have a fifteen hundred yard year. Or quarterback. your quarterback's going to help out there as well. Yeah, I mean, how much are they going to? I mean, in big games, yes. But I mean, are they going to give him ten carries a game? Is he going to get ten carries against Chattanooga? Is he going to get ten carries in against Vanderbilt and some other people? Are they going to get him beat up? Are they going to play him um, like they did against, like they did with Hendon Hooker his last year? And he, they're going to run him heavy in some, you know, in the big, most important games. And again, I think, I think that, I think that Nico's going to put up yards. But I mean, if you're talking about getting as many yards as they've rushed for the last three years, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know that Nico's going to be the second leading rusher on this team. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't think that they're you know going mean? to Michael Vickham out there, but like, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. But if you look at Joe Milton's yards gained, you know, before sacks, I mean, it, he was up there. I mean, and, and that's Joe Milton who, was a statue back there a lot of the time. So like I just I'm just thinking you you incorporate Nico in there and that's just gonna that's gonna give you a major boost, you know, when it's all said and done. I, again, I'm with you. I don't think that they're gonna, you know, put him out there to be like the, you know, a, an additional running back back out there, but I think that collectively he can kind of help in that regard as well. 
Uh, three and a half touchdowns for stays. That's interesting because before this year, I'd say under, but after this year, I might say over. I'll go over. Well, um, I mean, again, he's never played it down here. I, I just don't feel. Like, what are they, you know, how are they going to use the tight end? How's the passing game different with Nico versus Joe? Right. I mean, is it, is it a total different deal? Um, how much different things do they do? You know, is, is Nico's legs more of a factor in the red zone, which would eliminate some opportunities for some tight ends, which was not the case with Joe because Joe didn't run it a whole lot in the red zone, which is why the tight ends came into play. Um, you know, I, I think we got to see exactly what, A, we're holding stays is in learning this offense, and, and B, exactly how the passing game evolves and is different with Nico versus Joe. I'll go crazy. Just I'll say over just because uh, Jacob and, and – uh, Castles, they, they had nine last year. I think they had 10. I'm pretty sure they had nine combined. So, I mean, just based off that, I'll say over three and a half. The last one, 30 total touchdowns for Nico. I mean, barring injury, I'll say that's an easy over. Better be Does he over. be in an SEC play? Or <laughs> does it September? Is it September? <laughs> just, just the first two games Chattanooga <laughs> and then NC State. <laughs> But yeah, like Brent said, I mean, you, if Tennessee's going to be successful, you better, you best believe it'll be over, right? Um, for for total touch again, Joe Milton had a total, and Joe Milton's the worst quarterback to play here forever, right? I mean, that's what the board told us. He had a total of twenty seven touchdowns this year. So, I mean, you, you, you'd hope that it's significantly over. All right, good stuff there. Appreciate you guys for sending in the questions. We had a whole lot of questions that we didn't get to today. Apologies for that. Uh, but every single Thursday, right here on the podcast, presented by Exterior Home Solutions. Roofing, siding, garage, uh, windows. If you have a need, contact Exterior Home Solutions today. Local and trusted since 1999. That phone number is 865-524-5888 or online at exteriorhomesolutions.com. For Brent Hubs, all surprise, Rob Lewis, I'm Eric Kane. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Ballquest Mailbag Podcast. You've been listening to the Ballquest Mailbag Podcast every week right here on VaultQuest.